lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT In The Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and we have a special episode this week. We're stepping out of the wrestling ring, at least for the most part, um, and talking about the Olympics this time around. Um, It's been an eventful week for um, some very joyful reasons, as well as some very um, frustrating and uh, anger-inducing reasons as well. Um, you know, this time around at the Tokyo Games, we are seeing for the first time ever on the Olympic stage non-binary, trans-non-binary um, identities represented in uh, competition, uh, and we saw that on display this week with uh, both Quinn, uh, the Canadian. Uh, soccer player, as well as Alana Smith, the American skateboarder, um, and where there were multiple instances of uh, both of them being misgendered on international broadcasts uh, during the Olympics while they were competing. And so, um, you know, we've covered it at Outsports. Other outlets have covered it as well. And I thought that due to what's been happening this week, it was a very uh, apt time to take a moment and kind of talk about the, the issue and, and talk about the things around it as well. And there's no one better to do that than uh, another non-binary uh, journalist in uh, Brittany De La Creta, who has been covering uh, the misgendering issues at the Olympics for Vice. So Brittany is on this week to talk about various topics around uh, what we've seen over in Tokyo so far. Um, but we do slip a little bit of pro wrestling in at the end, so stay tuned there. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, their coverage of the Boston League of Wicked Wrestlers, which is a uh, very awesome uh, LGBTQ-inclusive uh, pro wrestling group out of Boston that was discussed on Grit and Glitter this week as well. Um, that is super dope. And, you know, Brittany was got to uh, cover them firsthand. And so we get a little bit of a, a chat there at the end about that. But um, before we get to that conversation, it's been a fairly wild week in pro wrestling, I would say. Um, both good and bad. Um, obviously, the, the events that kind of unfolded over the weekend with GCW have been very, very interesting to watch. Matt Cardona is the new GCW champion defeating Nick Gage. Uh, frontman Joss C got to uh, lock lips with both Effie and Ali Catch uh, at the event as well. Um, and of course uh, we have another war games going down in the Chicago area now with GCW doing war games just roughly a month ahead of the uh, gay war games that is going to be going down at uh, the next Butch vs. Gore show, Human Nature, on October 2nd. So, yeah, a lot to talk about there. Speaking of Nick Gage, um, I hope everybody's come down a bit off of the excitement of Nick Gage and Chris Jericho on AEW Dynamite. Um, dope. Uh, nice uh, touch to <laughs> have Gage uh, using the pizza cutter while a Domino's commercial aired on Picture in Picture. Uh, mwah. Um... Uh, of course, we also had the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, Wrestle Grand Slam and the Tokyo Dome over the weekend, which delivered a, a stellar main event match with uh, Shingo Takagi and Hiroshi Tanahashi, but unfortunately was marred a bit by uh, evil 
the next challenger for that championship, dropping a uh, a homophobic slur in the post-match promo back in front of uh, the uh, backstage front of the, the press corps um, that they have there for present for, for those things. Um, obviously, it's been edited out of all of the broadcasts now. Um, not... <laughs> You can very easily tell that it's been edited out, considering the editing job, and you know it's frustrating that it was just removed and not really touched upon at all by the company. They, like, this is very common for New Japan. New Japan handles these sort of things. They are very much about just keep pushing forward and don't address these things. And in my opinion, that is the absolute worst way to deal with this sort of stuff. But you know that is. Um, that's how they're going to do it, but it does not mean that we cannot hold them to task for trying to put a blanket over um, what clearly was uh, the use of a homophobic slur on their broadcast. Um, even if it was just in the backstage comments and not actually out in front of the crowd, it was still on their broadcast, which is another thing that we will get to. <laughs> You'll see that come up again later in my conversation with Brittany about the Olympics um, and all that good stuff. Uh, and then also, you know, it's been really interesting to watch the past couple of days where, you know, new, um, I guess allegations is the best word, new information about uh, Nolan Edward has has re- been released, um, you know, involving dating a minor uh, at one point. Um, and, you know, this isn't the first time that Nolan Edwards' name has come up when it comes to, you know, verbal abuse uh, or uh, harassment or anything like that. And, you know, it's just frustrating to see, like, how quickly that uh, forgiveness was thrown out the first time around and the second time around then however many times around it has come up but new stories keep surfacing and that's what happens with these situations so um, we'll see what happens but I know what I hope happens is that accountability is maintained and that you know all the talk about wanting to remove abusers from situations, which there are very many people doing that that are very altruistic about it, that are very um, in, in the right place about it, but there are some that aren't. And, you know, if we're going to make pro wrestling at any level, independent, major network television, whatever level, uh, a better, more welcoming, inclusive, and safer space, then we need to hold all parties to task. No matter how good they are in the ring or how nice they are outside of the ring to fans or to people at shows or anything like that or even to other wrestlers. like You, you have to reconcile the, the person with the, the persona. Um, Nolan Edward has proven to be another case that has kind of brought that back into the face of uh, the pro wrestling community. Um, which also brings up uh, Dragon Gate announcer Larry Dallas uh, showing his whole ass <laughs> um, in regards to you know Tara Calloway's uh, efforts to improve those same things with pro wrestling you know forming that partnership with rain and really pushing to make you know not just promotions or or educate promoters or wrestlers but also to educate trainers and and um, bring uh, new new information to um, 
pro wrestling schools. You know, just to try and build back from the ground up with these new structures that really aim to make the industry a safer place for women, BIPOC, LGBTQ, any anybody really, but specifically for people from marginalized identities or underrepresented identities. And to have him completely miss the point of any of that and just go off like he tends to do, um, it's not really surprising, but it is also a very special uh, slice of frustration and, and anger to watch. But, you know, he told on himself in, the, in, in failing to understand what the issue was about and um, somebody needs to help him get as you know no somebody doesn't need to help him um he needs to help himself get the idea through uh to his brain that not everything that pro wrestlers or people in the pro wrestling community do is for the sole purpose of getting over that's just not how this works especially whenever you're talking about making the industry safer and more inclusive and cutting back on all the stories the copious hundreds at this point amount of stories that we've seen since speaking out uh, started back in June of 2020. Um, yeah, so that was, I just had to get that on my chest a little bit as well. So yes, there's been a lot in pro wrestling that has happened, um, but um, we're going to leave that to the side for the moment and talk about the Olympics. Who doesn't like the Olympics? I guess. Um, Thumbs up. Here's my chat with Brittany De La Creta. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And obviously, we're taking a different route than we normally do on this show this week. Uh, we're taking the ring concept and applying it to the Olympic rings this time around because there have been um, a, uh, a collection of issues around the uh, portrayal and the broadcast of uh, non-binary identities at the Tokyo Games so far. And here to discuss that with me is uh, someone who has also been covering uh, the situation over at Vice, um, uh, freelance journalist, also the author of the forthcoming book, Hail Mary, The Rise and Fall of the National Women's Football League, Brittany De La Creta. Welcome to LGBT in the Ring. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Awesome. Um, well, obviously, like we're we're both here, uh, both non-binary journalists covering the Olympics, um, and you know we both wrote about the situation that kind of spawned out of Alana Smith's competition at the Women's Skateboarding Street Prelims earlier this week. Um, but you know their situation there is not the only one that has occurred, uh, as also has been reported by by you and us over at Outsports, like Quinn. Uh, the Canadian uh, member of the Canadian soccer team was uh, misgendered as well on the broadcast there by the CBC. Um, I guess talk to me a little bit about like your own personal reactions whenever you first saw the uh, the issues with the various broadcasts of Alana and Quinn um, on the Olympics. Yeah, so I have like two reactions and one is the reaction that's like, of course, like, why would I have expected anything else to happen? And the other reaction is frustration and a little bit of anger because I think there has been so much 
media coverage, particularly given the political moment that we are in, about this being the first Olympics with openly trans people competing. And so I think I hoped maybe like naively that media members would be more prepared to cover those trans athletes. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of the focus has been on Laurel Hubbard and um, to a lesser extent, Chelsea Wolf, who is an alternate who are both trans women. And I think there's been less attention given to the two non-binary athletes competing. And because of how little is known about like non-binary people, I think they kind of fell through the cracks, but they shouldn't have, you know? So I think I have like both sides of that happening for me. No, I, I second that, honestly. I think um, the first thing I really felt was a lot of that anger um personally when i when i first saw the alana situation and then later learned about quinn because i i didn't watch the the canadian soccer broadcast at the time but um yeah i guess honestly and the layout i didn't even lay out exactly what happened so alana smith at the prelims was misgendered um through uh, throughout by on numerous broadcasts uh the bbc as well as um the olympic broadcasting services the obs and to a lesser extent on nbc's official broadcast uh i will commend todd harris and paul zitzer for correcting themselves quickly in the moment but misgendering did still occur there um and there's been a number a, a bit of fallout around that as well back to the issue of the the, the press coverage ahead of time um, I completely agree with you. Like, there's been a lot of talk about Chelsea and about Laurel uh, in terms of them being the first trans women at the games. But, you know, outside of specifically focused uh, queer journalism outlets, there I don't haven't seen a ton talking about Alana or Quinn heading into these games. And I could definitely see that playing into the the problematic approach in terms of uh, portraying their their identities uh, on camera. Yeah, I mean, I'll say my beat is like queer and trans sports, right? Like you, like this is my literal beat. And so I knew about Quinn because I interviewed them for Sports Illustrated a few months ago and I kind of vaguely follow the National Women's Soccer League where Quinn plays. So I was aware of them. I feel like there was so little attention given to non-binary athletes that I didn't even know about Alana Smith until I was working on a roundup of queer um, athletes on Team USA for Vice. And I, Alana's name was on it. And I like went and did some, look, looked them up to write something fun about them and was like, wait a second, <laughs> this person <laughs> is non-binary. Wait a second. That means that this is the very first non openly non-binary person to represent the United States at the Olympics. I literally stumbled upon it because I hadn't seen it being really talked about. So I think I agree. I agree with that, that it's those, those athletes have kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Yeah, they definitely have. And especially, you know, I don't know. It, I feel like there's even added more added significance to Alana because like this is the first time that skateboarding has been an Olympic sport. And you would think that the first time that you have a sport at the Olympics, you would want to make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted when it comes to the, the broadcast. Um, on, on that, especially when it comes to uh, adding in a historic um, representation for non-binary people at the games as well. 
So I think that definitely heightened the frustration. I know watching a lot of the reaction online was uh, very, very um, aggressive, I would say, um, towards the, the broadcasters and, and the way that, that it was handled there. Um, obviously, you know, through our reporting, both you and I, we've spoken to NBC, spoken to OBS, and, you know, they, there have been statements made um, do you feel like the the broadcasters themselves are are handling this situation well enough? So I think here it's helpful to kind of make the distinction about what happened on NBC. Yes. Because if you were to be following the event in real time, it would have been really confusing because you were seeing these tweets that you mentioned being very upset at NBC for misgendering Alana Smith. But then there were also these tweets that were so excited to hear a lot of Smith's pronouns being used correctly. And that was for me where I went, what happened? Like something happened here because where are these people hearing Alana Smith being gendered correctly? Um, and so what happened was, as you mentioned, the embassy broadcasters, yes, they slipped up a few times, but they mostly got Alana's pronouns correct. And they mentioned explicitly um, their non-binary identity. That was aired on CNBC when the whole program showed and it was like, you know, in the like 7.30 p.m. ish time slot. But if you would have been streaming the NBCOlympics.com broadcast of the event, they were using the Olympic Broadcasting Services feed. And that's where Alana was being misgendered. So I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening here, which is I want to commend NBC because as part of my reporting, I was shown the bio and information that those broadcasters were given about Alana. And there is a really clear, bolded note about Alana using they, them pronouns, about them being non-binary and examples of how to use those pronouns in a sentence. And I think that material really helped the broadcasters be able to kind of mostly get it right and and recognize when they needed to correct themselves. I was also told that NBC had um, broadcasters attend a GLAD seminar about getting people's pronouns right and why that was important. Um, and I kind of hate that it was overshadowed by the OBS feed. And I think it also raises a question about how much responsibility a network has for streaming something that they like, you know, it's still streamed on their platform. So like how much responsibility do you put on NBC for streaming this feed? I also kind of wonder why they couldn't have streamed their own broadcasters on the online feed. I don't actually, you know, know that answer, but like if you have broadcasters already calling the event, um, my understanding that the OBS feed is so that networks who don't have enough resources to call every single event because there's over 7,000 hours of sports happening. You know, you've got this feed provided, but um, why wasn't, why was NBC even streaming it when they had people actually calling the event themselves? No, it's the same question that I post in my conversations with NBC throughout my reporting, you know, and, and I think, but the default response was like, the, you know, oh, we streamed OBS's thing. And there was really no real answer to why they couldn't just use theirs that was given in, in my conversations with them. Um, that being said, though, let, let's let us focus in on, on the OBS, uh, OBS stream a bit and some of the other streams other than NBC, because like you said, 
NBC provided information on Alana's gender identity. They they provide they went above and beyond to make sure that they got this right eventually. Um, let's but OBS uh, from what I under, from what I've been able to see as well as BBC and I even heard reports about the CBC, which that might have been the OBS feed as well. I haven't looked into that uh, further, but. Um, all of those companies, um, you know, we heard it from Tim Warwood himself, who was assigned to the skateboarding events for the BBC. They didn't have any information regarding gender that was provided to them. OBS, while they haven't commented, um, I, I don't want to make assumptions, but like it seems like that it was the same case. Um, what does it say that those broadcasters weren't? Uh, didn't see that as in the same kind of light as NBC did. Well, here's the thing. Yes. So I also talked to Ed Lee from the BBC who called their, that event. He told me he didn't think it aired anywhere. That turned out to be incorrect. It did air on the BBC and um, Alana was misgendered on it. And he sent me a link to the bio he had for Alana Smith. And it's from the Olympics website. So this I'm assuming is also what the IOC broadcaster would have had. At the top, it says gender female. However, if you scroll down on that bio and actually read it, it uses they them pronouns throughout the entire thing. And so I think I don't want to use the word lazy. I hate the word lazy. I also think these broadcasters are calling a lot of sports and are really trying to cram very quickly a lot of information. Definitely. I want to recognize how hard this job is. If you don't have a lot of time, you don't know in advance that you need to be looking for it. I can understand how you would look at the top of the bio, see female and, and run with it. Um, but if they had done even a little bit of scrolling, they would have seen they them pronouns used throughout Alana's bio on the Olympics website, Quinn's as well. So even if the broadcasting company is not providing this, it, it actually was still there if they looked. Yeah, and I noticed the same thing as, as well. And I think that speaks to a larger issue now with the Olympics and having non-binary identities represented at the Olympics, um, how gendered the Olympics is and how along the gender binary it follows. Um, you know, the, the more presence that non-binary athletes have on this international stage, the more I think it's gonna, maybe call into question isn't the right phrase, but um, really kind of push the Olympics to be more, more accommodating, more flexible to um, identities that don't align on the gender binary. Um, I don't know if you, how do you have any any feelings around that or like have you seen anything kind of pop up in uh, after your reporting that has kind of made you look to that issue as well? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it. I have so many feelings about it that I have written many thousands of words about how we can blow up like the gender binary in sport, and I think realistically we're nowhere close to doing that. So I think the question remains, how do we work within the system that we have to make this as accessible as possible and do the least amount of harm? Uh, and something that was brought up to me, I spoke to a source within NBC um, who provided me with you know, the research materials and, and things like that. And one of the things that they were saying 
is that things like, you know, gender female at the top of a bio, part of that being there is like, you need to have searchable databases so that when a research team is providing information for broadcasters, sometimes like in the moment you're looking up stats and that's when you'll hear a broadcaster be like, oh, that's the first home run in this park since 1972, you know, whatever, like someone is behind the scenes looking up these stats. And so these databases need to be searchable. And one of the things that they mentioned that could be a solution to this uh, issue around a non-binary athlete having themselves gendered as female or male, whichever um, category they're competing in, is instead of gendering the athlete, you gender the event or the sport that they're competing in. So you could write gender and have it be, you know, male, female, or sexes. So gender, woman, man, non-binary, maybe there's a write-in option, I don't know. Um, but the event itself or the sport itself, you can gender male or female or however they want to do that. And that way you're not actually gendering the athlete, but you're gendering the event they're competing in, which is accurate. These are two non-binary athletes who competed in women's events. So I, you know, that that's an accurate way to categorize them. No, I, I, I actually, I agree with that. That seems like a, a good first step solution there. Um, as we keep moving towards some um, other solutions, you know, and I, I, I agree with you that we're probably a long way away from actually changing these these constructs in sport that have really been uh, shown to have <laughs> a lot of longevity, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. Get away from testosterone levels for women, including these women. Like, come on, we're measuring like. We can't, we haven't even gotten away from that in the Olympics. So the fact of like getting away from the gender binary, I think we're really far from, although I will plug um, Kate Sosin at the 19th wrote a really great article last week on exploring the question of if and when the Olympics would ever get rid of the binary in sport. And it was very good. So I will plug that. All right, Jens, thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free. Check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, 
the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. So, um, coming coming out of this situation and like moving forward, because the Olympics, these Olympics aren't stopping. There's more to come. You know, the Winter Olympics are like six months away at this point. Um, what do you see? Uh, what What do you see uh, the Olympics possibly doing to better address? these situations i know that's kind of like a a question that kind of already has an answer to it considering how the olympics has handled issues with lgbtq identities in the past so look i'm a person who thinks the olympics are terrible i'm gonna like fully like full disclosure to your audience here before i was a writer i was a community organizer and i was part of the group of people who um, successfully defeated the bid for Boston 2024. So this is how I feel about the Olympics. So I don't really think they're good at anything, nor do I think they should exist at all. So I have like very little faith <laughs> in them to like ever do the right thing. However, I think that the right thing is going to have to happen kind of in the way we saw NBC attempt on their end. Um, it's going to have to happen within like maybe the people covering are going to have to do a good job, a better job, like care enough to like actually make sure that everyone competing in a specific event is using a pronoun guide would be great. Just like you have a player pronunciation for their name. These are things that are so easily fixable and you don't have to blow up the entire system to put them in place. So I think these are things that I would like to see. I'd like to see media and newsroom like thinking about how they cover it. And I kind of like, I think we can even maybe come back to this, but something that I am a little bit sad about is how much coverage the misgendering of Alana Smith has ended up getting. That's for me felt like it overshadowed the fact that they competed at all. And I think like as a, a trans non-binary journalist who covers sports like I want to think about that for myself and my coverage too because I think that's another thing like how do we hold people accountable which I try to do with my work which is right why I'm asking questions and you're asking questions like let's hold the right people accountable because this is not okay and how to how do we also prevent like that narrative from dominating the fact that they were there at all yeah, and that, that was actually going to be my next question for you, because like obviously in your piece, um, you did focus uh, a lot on the, the pure non-binary joy, the pure trans joy that we saw from Alana, because, you know, Alana, I think, you know, it was an Instagram post afterwards where they basically said, like, you know, I came here to, to represent the community on this stage, you know, and just have fun with it. And that's what you saw from from them. Um, throughout the entire uh, prelim there during their runs, like showing up with the they, them pen, writing they, them on their, on their grip tape, you know, just putting that onto an international broadcast in the way that they did. And then just not sweating any of the, the, the falls or anything like that. Just, 
the joy never left their face. And I, and I do agree with you. I think that does get lost in the, the reporting that has come out. I know that I'm guilty of it, you know, but at the same time, it can't be forgotten. Yes. And I think NBC out, Joe, I don't know how to say their last name, you know, Kerba, I'm so sorry, Joe, um, wrote about this too. And I was so happy that somebody wrote about it because Alana Smith was just like pure vibes. I, they like did not have the best performance. They came in last place. I think based on that Instagram post, and I don't want to speculate, but they clearly had some other stuff that was going on for them. And they seemed to just be like, I'm going to show up and just enjoy myself and represent my community on the biggest stage in sports. And that is just what they did. They smiled the whole time. And like I said, vibes is like all I have for what happened. And it was so beautiful, <laughs> like so <laughs> lovely to see. And I think that that really like deserves to be celebrated. It also tells me that they know the significance of that moment too. And it is absolutely not lost on them. What a big deal it is for not just them, not just their sport, but like our whole community too. Um, and they seemed, I think, it can be a lot to feel like you have to represent a whole community of people, particularly one that's not um, incredibly visible. And they seemed to really take that, not just in stride, but like with, with like joy. So yes. No, they, they, they definitely did. And, um, you know, I think that there was, I, I could definitely see some pressure there. Obviously, like you said, like representing an entire community on a stage like this, being the first person ever from this community to compete at an Olympic games like that we, when we've seen it with multiple other athletes here, the pressure that the Olympics can, can apply, you know, Simone Biles pulling out of the team and the individual gymnastics um, competition, you know, Naomi Osaka has pulled out of multiple tournaments and then, and then uh, lost in, in early rounds at the Olympics here, you know, all citing mental health struggles and really Alana's appearance at the Olympics comes like less than a year after coming out. Like if I if I'm not mistaken, so like it's been kind of a whirlwind for them in in a way, and to be able to still express as much like pure happiness as they did on, on that stage is something to be commended. Yeah, absolutely. And to to talk about Quinn as well, um, Quinn has been quieter and more private about their journey in some ways. Um, but their journey has been no less joyful when they have given us glimpses of that on their Instagram. Um, the Canadian national team all wore like uh, trans flag armbands at a like scrimmage game before, you know, the game started. Um, and they also posted on Instagram because they competed first um, time-wise. So they officially were the first trans athlete to ever compete in the Olympics openly. Trans athlete, right, um, yeah. was, is Quinn. Um, and they recognize the significance of that moment too. And I don't think they're, they're taking that for granted. And um, it's been really great to see like not just one, but, but two non-binary athletes out there it's it's significant especially like you said in sports this very very binary gendered place I think when we talk about trans representation we're often talking about trans women and trans men we're, we're not 
always seeing the non-binary athletes. And I think there's a whole other conversation we can have about when we might see, you know, of non-binary people feeling safe enough to openly compete. And I think we're a lot further away from that. And that's a whole other conversation. But I want to make sure like that we're not like erasing that with, with the conversation as well. Um, but these are just folks who really it's easy to fall through the cracks um, when we talk about trans athletes. And um, I'm glad that they're there, like being visible. Mm. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about that real quick in terms of, you know, um, AMAB, uh, non-binary people um, competing, because we've seen in sports, not just the Olympics, but in overall sports that like, you know, specifically gendered uh like women's leagues or, or women's sports have been more open not just in terms of non-binary representation but lgbtq representation as a whole they've been more open to and accepting to that what for you kind of speaks to that um that level of of comfort or level of acceptance compared to you know uh traditionally gendered uh men's sports and why do you think that we're still a long way away from seeing uh an amab non-binary athlete competing at a uh, major level i think there's just so much toxic masculinity and homophobia and transphobia that's so rampant still in men's sports I am hopeful that the professional male athletes we've seen starting to come out in uh, men's professional sports. Um, there's more like in Olympic sports than there are when I'm talking about like the big five professional sports in the US. Um, but we're starting to see, right? We had an NFL player, we've got, you know, an NHL draftee. So, I don't know, is this the like tipping point we've been waiting for? I still don't know, but I think um, just like we saw a lot more openly queer women in sports before we ever started seeing them come out as non-binary, I think like gender and sexuality are two different things. So I think in men's sports, we're like behind. I think we're gonna see the like wave of like queer athletes come out at some point, hopefully maybe. Um, but that's going to be ahead of, I think, the, the, the gender wave <laughs> of that version of coming out. Um, I think it will follow a similar pattern that we saw in women's sports. I do think the reason, like, generally that women's sports tends to be more progressive, not just on this issue, but, like, lots of issues, is because I think there is this element of just based on the fact that they're women athletes, they're marginalized already. They are already fighting for their right to like exist and play. Also they're marginalized by gender. And so they have like being woman in like generally, I'll just use that umbrella term. Um, and so it, I think they're just used to having to be outspoken and fighting for what they have. And so we've seen historically women athletes and women's leagues be more progressive than we have with men's leagues. I think that's kind of like the root of it. No, I mean, it makes sense. It, it makes sense. You know, um, I don't know. I hope that we do get there though. I hope that, you know, Carl Nassib or Luke Prokop or who, whoever comes after them, like we do start to see more of a tipping point there. And, and, and we do get to that, that point because it just seems like such a, such a, a healthier place to be when it comes to not just sport, but just, general 
humanity, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I there's just so much there and sports. But I think also just the gendered nature again of how we're dividing that there's just like no room to to be anything else. And um I think, you know, with men's sports, it's really interesting because a lot of the professional leagues in the US have like pride nights and have declared themselves allies. But the fact that you can look in their locker rooms and clubhouses and still see basically no um, openly gay players tells me that they're not allies. They're not safe places for people to be out because if they truly were, athletes would be out. Yeah, it's it's more than hosting a pride night and throwing up a rainbow mock-up of your logo for a, for a while. I mean, like, come on, you put a pride patch on your uniform that definitely overrides the money your owner gave to the politicians who are supporting anti-trans bills. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, God, 50-50 all day. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic that I hope will continue to develop over time here. And, and I'm really glad to have the chance to, to chat with you about this topic. Um, normally we are a pro wrestling podcast and I am going to sneak a little bit in here since I have you because um, a podcast that I'm very familiar with and I'm friends with that um, uh, covers uh, marginalized genders in pro wrestling re- did an episode this week on Blow and I know that you wrote a, an extensive piece for the Daily Beast about Blow, the Boston League of Wicked Wrestlers. Um, I just, just for a second, humor me a little bit and talk to me like about blow a little bit and having the chance to be around that crew. Cause it just seems like such a fun, loving, accepting queer as fuck crew to be around. Yes. Okay. So thank you for this. Um, I blow the blow show that I went to was the last like big thing I did before pandemic shut down. Mm. Um, it was a really high note to end on. And I will say that I am not generally a wrestling fan um, for probably a lot of the reasons that marginalized folks haven't historically felt safe being at shows. Um, But the other thing that was funny about doing this story, so I'm like queer and trans people wrestling. Yes, this is right in my like wheelhouse and they're local, like let's do it. So I get there and I'm interviewing these folks and I introduce myself and I'm like, I write about like gay sports basically. And the number of them that had never thought about themselves as athletes, right? They're like, (laughs) they're performers. Sure. Um, But I, it was so cool to watch like the gears turn and be like, Oh, huh. I guess that's us, isn't it? Right? (laughs) And then sort of like a thank you for that um, was great. Um, I really appreciate the thought and perspective that they put into their performances, their storylines. I will say for folks listening that aren't familiar with Blow, they have storylines that continue like from show to show. Um, So if you've been following them for a long time, the storyline is ongoing. Uh, But if you're new to a show, you're not lost. Like they give you enough context that you can follow what's going on. 
but the crowd who's like around me, right. I was my first show who's been there a while knew what to yell and when, and like, they were invested in these ongoing storylines and the storylines always punch up, um, instead of like punching down, we're mad at like capitalists. We're mad at landlords. We're mad at, you know, we support sex workers. Like this is kind of like the gist of how you write a blow storyline. Um, and it was just really great. And to hear them talk about the ways in which doing this performance and training, um, was like a way of reclaiming bodies that have really been the site of a lot of trauma or, you know, for trans performers who might felt have felt like dissociated from their bodies in the past, that this was a way to really kind of like take back their own power and their own narrative and like do cool things with bodies that they maybe have like not felt very good about for a lot of their lives. Um, and I think there's something really powerful about that. No, it, it, it definitely is true. And like, you know, I've, I've watched, I haven't been to a blow show live, but I've definitely watched a number of their shows um, on their uh, website. And it is exactly as you described. It is just pure fun, um, pure camp in a lot of ways. And just, just people really taking pro wrestling and rearranging it into something that represents them like we've seen a, in a number of other places in pro wrestling in recent years too but blow is, is a special place and and i've really enjoyed um kind of delving into that over the last couple of years as well and i just i had to bring it up and because like i have you here and and i haven't really had a chance to talk to many people uh, about blow because like not a lot of people that that i that i know really know about them that much so yeah, and can I say the show that I went to ended, the villain was named Becky. Um, and <laughs> it was like, uh, like white, blonde, thin, the only one with gymnastics training. So the most skilled wrestler was like the villain. Um, and she had somehow won ownership of Blow in one of, this is the storyline, right? She had won ownership of Blow in one of the past shows. And so she was fighting, I think her mom, like, you know, not her real oh, mom. Oh, yes. Her mom. <laughs> Uh, Becky's mom for ownership of the league and Becky's mom wins and then gives it back to the people. So it's collectively owned again. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Oh my God. It's so good. And everyone is cheering for Becky's mom. And then when they're yelling at Becky to do her chores, it was like very good. <laughs> oh, it's so great. It's so good. Also, real quick, because I I noticed this watching uh, another show. So, um, Becky actually, I don't think that she's wrestling for Blow anymore, but she has gone on to the the other places in pro wrestling now, better known as Becca. So, uh, anybody listening, like, there's an in for you to Blow now. Go check out a Blow show and see Becca before she became Becca there. Yes, um, yes, no longer that. This was her farewell show. Yeah. The other thing I loved about doing this is like to think about how much fun the performers themselves can have with gender. Um, you know, when I'm interviewing, I'm asking the person like behind the character, what, it, what are your pronouns? And then I'm asking, what are, your, what are your character's pronouns? And often those were two different answers. And so thinking about, I think the ways that their own performance can allow them to kind of like play with gender, different sides of their own gender is actually really cool too. Oh yeah. It's so dope. I, I love it so much. Um, 
Well, yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed having the chance to chat with you, Brittany. Uh, let everybody know where they can uh, find you online and, and what you have going on. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brittany DLC. I have a book, as you mentioned, coming out November 2nd. It is really, really gay. Uh, so if you like gay, it's like a, a league of their own, but um, racially integrated, openly gay and football. So if that's your thing, you should check it out. It's called Hail Mary. And um, I co-wrote it with Lindsay Darkangelo, who's also a queer sports writer. So. No, I honestly, just that little like mix of things that you just described is like straight up my alley. So like I am all in on Hail Mary. <laughs> well, thank you, Brittany. Thank you. My thanks once again to Brittany for coming on the show and talking to me about all of the the fallout around this uh, situation involving Alana Smith and Quinn. You know, these conversations are ones that we're going to continue to have more of as more non-binary identities or non-binary identifying people, trans non-binary identifying people um, reach these top levels of athletics and, you know, have more prominent places on these kinds of events. It's, it's just going to happen. That's the future that we have. And it's a wonderful future, but it's a future where people need to get better. People organizations the IOC specifically um, as well as I mean they're not they're not an outlier in this but they are specifically we're talking about the Olympics the IOC needs to get better about this um, as well as you know better educating broadcasters and that sort of thing so um, be on the lookout for Hell Mary on November 2nd that book sounds really really dope I'm excited for it I know um, and make sure to continue uh, checking out all of Britney's stuff you know they have they've have stuff in Sports Illustrated, Vice, uh, I know uh, them, all over the place. Um, but uh, that is going to do it for us here uh, on the show. Um, oh, one more thing, real quick. I realized in going back and listening and editing the show that I mentioned the podcast that talked about Blow, but didn't say the name of it. Grit and Glitter. I know I said it in the intro, but I just want to put it out there. I meant Grit and Glitter. They covered Blow this week. Go listen to their episode where they talk about watching uh, a Blow show from 2019. It's very, very fun. Shout out Em and Harley. Um, it's, uh, it's really, it, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It made me happy. It made me go back and watch Blow shows myself over the week, um, which who needs an excuse to do that? You know, Rat King all the way. Um, that being said, though, um, that's going to do it for us here this week. Come back next week. We'll have another show, another guest, another interview, all kinds of things that we do on this show. But until then, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, get vaccinated, and MDK trans rights all motherfucking day. Bye! She made a deal with the demon so a lover could live But the moon is high and the devil is shot instead It's the formula six, six, six